Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Samaritan Ministries is a biblical solution to healthcare, connecting Christians across the nation who care for one another spiritually and financially when a medical need arises. Learn more at SamaritanMinistries.org slash SavvySauce. As soon as I heard Sharita Harkness teach, I instantly reached out to invite her to be on the podcast. You'll understand why after listening to this message with Sharita as my guest. She reveals profound and practical ways to live as wise stewards of all God's goodness bestowed upon us. And she's going to teach us how God can use our little to become someone else's miracle. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Sharita. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So excited to hear more about your journey today. And will you just start by first telling us about your upbringing and your testimony of coming to faith in Christ? Sure. I always feel weird saying it's my testimony because I was five. But I do think that it's sweet that God always kind of speaks to us from when we were kids in the way that I think that he likes to love us and speak to us when we're adults because I love theater and television and film and When I was five, my parents took me to a church. We went to this play and it was called The Toymaker's Dream. And the toy maker was God and he created all these toys and then the toys rebelled against him. And so his son said, I'll go down and I'll be a toy and I'll, I'll do what the other toys can't. And so by the end of the play, they asked us, Hey, you know, if you want to come and be friends with the toy maker's son for the rest of your life, you can. And so I told my mom, I want to go. And she's like, sit down. You don't have a clue what you're talking about. And I remember telling her distinctly, mom, I have got to be his friend. And she's like, Shrita, sit down. (laughs) And I finally just got up and I was like, I need to go. So she let me go down to the front. And I remember walking down there and they explained everything to us and told us the toy maker son's name is Jesus and all the things. And I just wanted him to be my friend for the rest of my life. So I would walk around the house going, all right, come on, Jesus, let's go. (laughs) Because you're my friend. You got to go with me. Um, And as I've gotten older, I recognize it's the opposite way around. He's like, come on, Sharita. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, let's go. So sometimes it's great to follow. And other times it doesn't feel so hot. But the consistent piece, I think, that I learned that day and that I've still experienced to this day is that my life's better when, when he's my friend and when he's walking with me. So. Yeah. I I don't know if that answers all of what what you're looking for, but. Absolutely. That moment. I think that that's a lot of parents' prayers are for their children to receive Christ at a young age and then walk with him all the days of their lives. Yeah. And I know for our family personally, I definitely struggle. I don't want to try and control and I'm not the author or perfecter of my children's faith. That's Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) But one of my prayers is that they'll remember that moment. If they do choose to surrender their life at a young age, I want them to remember it. So it's very encouraging to hear as as a five-year-old, you remember your story. 
Oh, yeah. I, I think people underestimate the power of like children's ministry. Um, they think, oh, it's just kids. You know, what are you going to They're five. They don't know anything. But children are, especially even now, I think more so than ever before. They have so much access to technology and whatnot. And I taught high school and middle school and just learning a lot about, you know, early childhood development. And people forget, like, that's actually when, when you're around that age, when you're probably the closest to God's heart. Like you're able to see it with no filter because you don't know the crazy that the world has. Hopefully most children don't. And they recognize, you know, even when you're learning a language, they tell you that kids should learn that between ages two and five, you know, they're going to retain that the most. They have the easiest osmosis in their mind. So I think that's probably the same for their heart. And the churches that I've seen and the ministries I've seen that have allowed children's ministry to kind of be at the forefront and and really poured into that, those kids grow up to to have a different trajectory with their life. And even if they go away from it, even if they walk away, I've had some kids that I've mentored and they have grown up in church and then like, eh, you know, they always come back um, and they're not coming back to a religion. They're coming back to a relationship. And so, yeah, I think, I think you just have to let it go and watch God do his thing. That is so well said and so encouraging. And even in that response, you bring up some of your teaching experience. Yeah. So you've had some unique life experience. Will you share more about your journey now since childhood, what adulthood has been like, and include what led you overseas? Oh, yeah. I was working when I initially graduated from college with uh, TBS Superstation alongside or through a company called Creating Pride. And I was working to produce events for teachers and educators for the state. And we we did what was called Arts Now, which is a program that still exists, teaches teachers in general ed classrooms how to use the arts, uh, whether it be music or dance or art or whatnot, in their regular classroom to just kind of alleviate the fact that a lot of programs in, in, that were geared towards arts had been taken out of schools, specifically inner city schools. And I just did I love that? I loved producing events. I was doing film. I was I was also working with screen gems and doing some things. But I really felt like at some point I was supposed to work with teachers. And then Jesus was like, "No, you're going to be a teacher." Uh, so that was not in my plan. I actually had the day that I felt like God said, "I want you to be a teacher." I had um, been working on this movie, which recently just was released called Buddy Bolden. And it was with Screen Gems. And I had met this actor, Wendell Pierce, and he had given me the number for Tyler Perry's uh, producer at the time. And I was so excited. I called him, Ruben Cannon. And I said, hey, you know, I just graduated college. I've been doing this work. I want to get into filmmaking and television. And he said, this is what you got to do. And if you can get it done in the next couple of weeks, you know, call me back. So I'm all excited. And I go off to do the stuff he says. And that same day, God is like, I want you to be a teacher. And I was like, yo, I rebuke you, Satan. Um, and that is not God. You are the father of lies <laughs> because I just met these people and I've been trying so hard to get into acting and, and film and television writing because that's what I went to school for and just kept feeling like I was like, nope. And then I got a call from a university, LaGrange College, State University in Georgia, and I never applied for their school. And they called and said they wanted me to come interview for their cohort. And I was like, yeah, I didn't apply. And they're like, yeah, no, but we... <laughs> 
have your name. So I went into this day. I do not know how they got my information. I thought that I bombed the interview. Intentionally, I tried. And they called back and said, we want to give you the last position in our cohort. And I was like, you people are crazy. You want me to be a teacher? And God just worked it out. Within a week, I had a job at a school and I ended up getting my master's degree in education and arts and teaching. Ended up teaching for six six years. In that time, I adopted my son Parth and I taught him my first year. I was teaching seventh grade language English language arts at the school called Carver Road Middle School. And he was a little firecracker and a, a, little, a bad child. He was just annoying. Teachers always have the kids that they're like, oh, Lord. And you pray for them that they don't come to school that day. Honestly, this is just being truthful. And he would continuously come on the days I prayed that he wouldn't show up. And it was just because he had a crazy attitude. And then it, it became clear that like, okay, you're supposed to be in his life. I just thought as a good teacher. And then later it became even more obvious when his dad wrote me a letter asking me to keep him because he'd been deported back to India that he, that God wanted me to keep him at least for the time being more in a capacity of a, a child, like my child and be a parent versus um, just his teacher. So I had him for about three and a half years. And at the end of that time, uh, his family decided they wanted him back. So in the state of Georgia at 15, you can choose where you want to live. And so he went to stay with them again. And I still remained his guardian, still was his legal guardian, but just allowed him to stay with them in case anything happened. I could still, you know, run point on things and still be mom. And then in that time, I went to Dubai because he had left school. He had gone to live with his sister again. I was really depressed and really sad. And just was like, God, I thought, you know, you told me I was supposed to keep him for a while. And so I quit teaching for six months. My principal, my teachers, uh, fellow teachers in my department all agree, like, you just need to take a break and then come back. Well, because I did that, when the recession hit and all the teachers were being furloughed, I was the first fired, quote unquote, because I was the last hired. I had left for six months and then come back. And so then the recession hit. So a friend of mine had already gone overseas to Abu Dhabi and he's like, hey, you should come here. And I was like, yeah, no, it's sand. And Osama bin Laden might still be alive. Uh, and I feel like I should stay here. And he's like, no, I'm telling you, like, you'll love it. So I said, look, I'll apply. And if, if I'm supposed to do that, then fine. And he's not Christian. And he said, I think you should pray about it. I said, I think you're just saying that to make me feel better. And the answer is no. And he's like, no, I really do. I think, you know, that you always seem to like get more direction when you do that. So why don't you just pray about it? And I did. And I felt like God said that night, like, that's where I want you to go. And so things worked out and I got a job in Dubai, not in Abu Dhabi. I was working for the government of Abu Dhabi, but they placed me at a school in Ajman, which is a, a state or an emirate, uh, about three hours uh, north of, of the UAE, uh, Abu Dhabi area. So then I lived in Dubai and I stayed there for four years. And the first two years I was there as a teacher. I was teaching the first six months and then the shake came. Uh, the Sheikh is like the the president um, here in the United States, just with kingship, you know, mon monarchy type position as well. And they, the office, his office of education said they wanted me to come and create a uh, new curriculum for girls. They were trying to 
empower the women of the UAE um, and kind of be the first to do so at an education level. And so I went and created a British curriculum. It's called Creative Media and Production. Did that for six months, another six months. So by the end of the year, I had written the curriculum. We designed up all these plans for these buildings. And then they said, okay, now we need you to hire the teachers and then go back and teach. (laughs) So your girls that you originally left and get the program off the ground. So then I did that for another several months. And then finally my contract was up after two years. And I just thought, you know, I feel like I'm finished. And then I ended up getting a job at a church, (laughs) which was also not in my plan. I was planning to work with one of the the local media companies there. They actually do a lot of our work here, which is um, for the Universal Pictures and different movies. And so I had done some work with them while creating this media production program. And they said, we'd love to give you a job. I'm like, I'd love to have one. It was $100,000 a year. And the same time I'm waiting for a response from them, it became Ramadan. And so everything shuts down during Ramadan. And I'm waiting, waiting. Nobody's writing me back. And my pastor at the church that I was attending comes to me and says, hey, I think you'd be great to be an arts and worship director. And I was like, yeah, no, I feel like Jesus don't pay that much money. So I'm (laughs) going to go over here. And he said, no, I really think I I think you should pray about it. And people say that I'm like, you know, I I actually do go and pray. So when people encourage me to do that, it's annoying because I know it's actually not them. It's really God. So I said, sure, y'all think about it. And I didn't pray because I didn't want to hear the answer that I that I needed to go to that job. And it did matter because my visa was about to run out and you cannot stay in the city or in the country without a visa, a work visa. And so I went ahead and accepted because I didn't hear anything back from this other company. And the minute I signed the paperwork and got my visa done and transferred all the things over from my other job, they call me, oh, hello, Habibti, how are you? Habibti is like sweet darling, like, you know, sweetheart kind of thing. And we want, we have job for you. I'm like, yeah, too late. I already signed up to work with this church, on it. So God knew what he was doing. And I really loved working. I worked with the, the church I worked for was called Fellowship of the Emirates. Um, still there. They've multiplied campuses. But then I also helped to plant a church, which was a North Point partnership in it called Mosaic Church Dubai. They're also there. And God just did so much work, ways that I never could have experienced through me, uh, but also just working in me with with those two positions. So that's how I got there. And then I ended up coming back from Dubai, uh, the fourth year, my second year at the church, because my mom had had several strokes and there were many TIAs and then like a major stroke. And so I just felt like, you know, I need to go home uh, and felt like God said I I could come back. And my pastor was not happy about that. (laughs) I wasn't really happy about that because I really was flourishing there. I had done so much and performed on these off-Broadway productions and done acting and film and television things and just things that I felt like God had promised me a long time ago. Um, and that speak to my heart and then to have to leave it all and come back to honestly nothing at the time other than my family it just felt uh, really hard. And it was, but I felt like that was what I was supposed to do. So I got back to Georgia. And now a brief message from our sponsor. God's love is steadfast and true. He cares for us and calls us to care for one another. Samaritan Ministries is a health care sharing ministry 
that connects hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation who care for one another through prayer, encouragement, and financial support when a medical need arises. It is not insurance and there are no network restrictions, so you can choose the healthcare providers and treatments that are best for you and your family. Medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries and they'll notify members of your need. The prayers and money received from fellow members to help you pay for your shareable medical bills will assure you that you are not alone. When the body of Christ comes together to pray, encourage, and provide for one another, burdens are lifted and God is glorified. This applies to all areas of life, including healthcare. Visit SamaritanMinistries.org slash Savvy Sauce to learn more. It's biblical, affordable, and you can join today. So once again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org slash Savvy Sauce. Thanks for your sponsorship. Wow, your story is amazing. And I guess you're kind of expressing this already, but a lesson that I've learned from you previously through something that you taught on, you said, miracles are the powerful combination of faith and action partnered with surrender and obedience. So will you just continue and share some more miracles that you've witnessed God display in your life? There are so many. And I think when people hear miracles, they they think these big off-the-wall things, you know. And I do think that those miracles happen, but I think that we forget about the small miracles and that we are the vehicle for those things to get done. People have showed up in my life in ways that I can't imagine, and it's not been because I was so great, but because God just gave me favor with them. He just allowed me to show his love to them, and in return, they're like, oh, you know what? I want to do something for you. And sometimes I don't even know them. Like I, I think when I gave that talk that you were referencing, it was right after the pandemic started, and I had lost all of my jobs for my business. And I I was like, oh, great. Okay. What do I do? And I remember just thinking, okay, Lord, you know, this is the amount of money I have. And this lady just happened to butt dial me (laughs) from another campus, another church that I had been working, done some work for. And I had worked on several events specifically with her family. Um, We always did a festival at their house, um, a music festival that happens in the city of Atlanta. And their house was always a venue. And so we got to work together every year. And she just happened to call. When she did, we ended up talking and I just was saying like, how can I pray for you? The girl who has no money, (laughs) how can I pray for you? But I wasn't worried, you know, so it was easy just to say like, what can I pray? And as we finished talking, she said, well, how can I pray for you? Because your entire business is like events and design and production and strategy. And I'm like, yeah, she's like, and that's all stopped. Right. And I said, yeah. So I told her, I said, you just pray that God would continue to sustain me. You know, I said, I've been saying this little prayer just something that I, every day when I would wake up, I just open my hands, sit on side of the bed and say, no, God, I thank you that you choose to flourish me in this time of uncertainty. Not that I will flourish, but that you will flourish me. You will, it's all yours, right? Um, and so you'll take care of it. And I just prayed that every day. At the end of the week, that's when they called and you know said, hey, we want to, we've been praying and we've been doing devotional with our girls and we'd like to give you a gift to just you know, what we have, we feel that it's borrowed and we want to give it to you. And I had 
honestly never heard anybody talk about their money in that way, other than like pastors and you know people. And they just gave me $2,500. And that literally sustained me for the next several months. And I was able to give that away, some of it away to other people, friends of mine who had lost their jobs too, or even if it was just like, hey, I'm going to cook dinner for everybody, you know, and I'll bring you some and drop it off at your doorstep and you have it. So you have food tonight. Down to miracles of like, it was a miracle that just a couple of days ago when I moved to Chicago, I'm outside struggling with this shovel. And my body is like, who are you? And what do you think you're doing? You, this is not what we do. And my wrist was starting to swell up. I couldn't, couldn't do it. And I literally just prayed in my heart. Like I said it out loud, but I just was like, God, you know, I could use a little help right now. I wish I had a snowblower because this is going to take me forever. Within like five minutes, the neighbor comes across the street. Hey, you look like you need some help. Do you need some help? I said, oh, yes, we are from Atlanta. This is new. And he said, okay, I just did my driveway. I'll bring my snowblower over. Now that's so small, you know, but that was a miracle for me because I did not have a snowblower. I barely had the shovel. I just bought it at Home Depot when I landed from the airport. And then he did that part. But then there was like still so much ice underneath because I hadn't been here. And so and I, I literally, again, thought, I didn't even say it out loud. I just thought, Jesus, it would be so great if <laughs> I'm going to have to find a service or if somebody could like come and get the rest of this ice up because I just need a truck. I literally just thought I need a truck. And then within 10 minutes, this guy next door to me had, I guess he'd sold a cabinet or something. And he bartered with the guy that came to pick it up that because he got the, the cabinet for free, like if, if he gave it to him for free, he asked the guy, would he come over and get the rest of the snow and ice out of my driveway? This is was when, within like a two hour period of each other. Cause I had come inside, gone back outside to like, you know, warm up and then go back and try again. And the guy had a truck with a shovel on it. Like what? So, I mean, those are little things, but they were things I needed. And I don't believe that they're like, like I said, miracles aren't like poof, it happened. Mir that was me believing God for just saying like, I hope God, I can have these things eventually, or it would be nice Lord if I could, you know, do X, Y, and Z. Not even thinking about it. Just someone else though, coming along and providing the manpower behind that miracle. Like it's through us. It's it's Elevation Church says it so well. And I, I think it's been their slogan or their their vision kind of casting for the last couple of years, where Stephen Furtick will say, you know, let's see what God can do through you. And we are the miracles for each other. So I mean, the list goes on from the things that have happened in my life, even just people sending me money. My mom was in the hospital on Christmas Day and I just said, hey, can can you pray? We have no idea how much the power of prayer helps. And people sent prayers and they called and said prayers. And other people said, hey, I want to send, you know, Venmo you money. And that helped it, you know, get food for dinner. And people just picked up different things. So I think more than anything, the miracles are wherever we find them. It's people around us. And if you sow those seeds, if you are someone else's miracle, it has no no choice but to come back to you because the Bible says that, hey, if I'll give to you good measure, press down, shaking together and running over will men give unto you, you know, but it's you sowing first into the kingdom. And then, and then I think God just allowing those things to return to you at the right time. 
And even to tie that into a few things, my takeaways, I remember that previous talk that I heard of yours, you're illustrating it right now because you taught that God can use our little oh, to yeah. become someone else's miracle. And I also just want to share this scripture that is funny. I, when I did my quiet time today, this was the scripture after I read it, I felt like my quiet time was done. I'm like, that's so strange. That's just one verse. Mm. But now it's kind of coming full circle. So it's in James 5, 16, and it's the amplified version. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another, your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. And here's the part that really is emphasizing what you're sharing. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man or a believer is able to accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. That's from James 5, verse 16 in the Amplified Version. And Sharita, as I'm reading that right now, this is crazy, but the next word is Elijah. And that is something I wanted to ask you about anyway, because that's a name that you've talked about before. And so will you just share what God has revealed to you through seven little verses in Second Kings 4? Yes, you say seven little verses, but those verses are, are like so full. They're so bad. <laughs> like the first verse, I think I probably could stay on that all day long. But it's just a story of this widowed woman who goes to Elisha, who's a prophet at the time, and he's kind of like the lead prophet. And he had taken over from a previous prophet, his mentor, Elijah. And he had asked God for double the power of Elijah, which I think is a very bold ask that you would ask God for double the power of someone else. And it's also what people probably wouldn't think about, kind of scary because when you have double of anything, that means you also have more of a responsibility, right? Um, to the people that that gifting is is actually meant for. So here comes this woman and she's asking Elisha like, hey, I need help because my husband, who was a part of your company of prophets, you know, the men that kind of followed you, that you were mentoring, like he's passed away. And now I have all this debt and I can't pay it because prophets were not allowed to have jobs. They weren't allowed to make money. Their job was to serve. And so the way that they were taken care of and that their debts were paid and they got food were that people, you know, paid for them. People were their help and sustenance. So she comes to him telling them, like, I have nothing. And basically he says, okay, well then what do you have in your house? And she, she's like, I don't have anything except this little tiny jar of oil, like, what am I going to do with that? You know, she's looking for that big miracle, you know, that I, I was mentioning earlier. And he's like, all right, cool. Well, let me tell you what, go back to your house <laughs> and go on your way back, you know, ask all your neighbors, all the people near you for a jar. Ask them, can you borrow jars and borrow as many as you can? And I think that he says that because she probably looked at him like he was crazy, like for real. You want me to go borrow jars? I'm telling you, my children are about to be taken. I'm going to be homeless and have nothing. And you're telling me to go borrow some jars? And he's like, go borrow the jars and borrow not a few. So then when you get the jars, go in your house. And I want you to close the door behind you. And then once you close the door, take that jar of oil that you have and begin to pour it in each of 
the jars. And when you've done that and the, and you've completed it, go take them to like basically the market, go sell them what whatnot. And you'll be able to live off of that money and the rest. I can only imagine in her mind, because I've been in that place before where it's like, I have nothing, God, <laughs> you know, that he's like, no, 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 just this little bit. You don't need a lot. And I was so drawn to that passage of scripture because at one point in my life, I did ask for more than I said, God, you know, I really want more. I want more of you. I want more of your power. I want more. I just want to be able to have more, not so that I can have it for myself, but because I want to be able to change people, like to encourage people to speak to their, their weakness. I want, I want you to use me in that way. And the only way that I feel I've seen people who are in ministry or who just do great things. Like people think you got to be a minister or a pastor to say, no, you just got to be you. And, you know, you have to be connected to God. But anybody that I've seen doing great works in God's kingdom for people, wherever they live in their community, their church, whatever, they always have great connection with God, the Holy Spirit, with Jesus. And they are just full because you cannot pour out of an empty jar. Right. So. The irony to me is that she, or should I say the interesting thing to me, is that she goes and she gets this, her all these big jars and she has to fill it up with her little tiny jar or bottle of oil. And the faith that it had to have taken, not only to go borrow from people, they knew her situation. Like this is like small town, like the Middle East, living there in Dubai helped me really also understand the Bible so much more. The things that nuances that we would never recognize in America or Western world that are just there from like washing your feet to just different things. And one thing that just clicked in my mind, like everyone would have known her situation. So she would have been like the town, like talk, you know, so to go to all these people, and I'm sure that some people, the people who gave her the jars loved her, cared about her, or at least wanted her to see, see her do well. But she still had to admit, like you said, when you're reading James, like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I am right now. I don't have anything. And then trust that God was going to speak to the right people to give her what she needed because she had to go borrow the jars. She didn't have them. And then the fact that he says, borrow not a few, that means she had to tell everybody, <laughs> people that she probably wouldn't have even talked to even maybe. But then the cool thing about that is then when she actually pours the oil and the oil's coming out and it's filling all these jars. And I still don't think she borrowed as many as she could, because if you look towards the end of those scriptures, she says to her son, hey, give me another one. He's like, there are no more. And usually you kind of know what you have. But I think as she was pouring, this is just me kind of like putting my own ideas in there based off my experience. It's like, I go out, I start to trust God. I do just what he asks and probably could do more, but just am nervous that like, this is stupid. And then when I start, then I see him just like pouring out and then it's like, oh, okay, God, let's go. And he's like, yeah, no, this, you, I needed you to prepare. Preparation is also part of the miracle. You don't get to just show up and then bam, it's just going to happen. You have to start that as, as well. God's just pouring favor on top of his faithfulness, but you have to be faithful as well to get, you know, to do what he's asking you to do to, to, to get that going. So I just hear her saying like, give me the next jar. And her son's like, no, 
it's gone. We don't have anything else. And then her having to stop and stand back and then take those jars to market. So now everybody knows she borrowed the empty jars. Everybody now sees that she's filled the empty jars because it's city centers. Like it's not like she went to, you know, Target or to Costco. You know, she goes to the center of this market and is given this back. So now they all get to see the oil. And they had to then think and ask, how did that happen? Where did you get that oil from? Because oil would have cost money, which is why she was able to make so much money. So not only does she get the miracle, the benefit of getting the money, but she gets the benefit of giving God the glory out of all of that because everybody has to see. So now those people who may not have believed in the prophets or may not have believed, you know, that God was faithful or may not have believed that God would do it for her because like, whoa, she is the lowest, right? Now they're seeing that and now their faith is renewed. So it wasn't so much just for her. It's also for these other people. And it's also to redeem what was lost. She lost a husband that was her provider. But we've seen as Christ followers throughout the Bible, you know, with Ruth, with all these different people, but specifically with Ruth, Boaz is the visual picture that we have that God is our ultimate provider, you know, and he's our husband, he's our kinsman, he's the one that's always taking care of us. And so if we put our hope in him versus, you know, looking to people for all of that, he can take all of our talent, the skill, our resources, our relationships, all these things. And then the Holy Spirit just comes and like brings it into fruition through other people and through our obedience to trust that the people he's placed around us or, or is working is going to work through are, are right where they're supposed to be. Even the people that probably look like they may not be for us because God can use anybody. Judas was in Jesus' circle and Jesus created him. He knew he was going to betray him and he still used him to do exactly what he needed to have happen as a part of his story. So yeah, I love that story, but it was because I've I've lived it. I've seen God show up in my life on so many occasions. And as many times as I've felt just almost incapable of trusting, because it's like, I have nothing, God. Like, I only have. He's like, great, I'll take the only, and then I'll add that for 200, Alex. Okay? <laughs> so I've seen God do this in my life consistently. And the biggest way is that I've seen him to just provide the payment, not for my physical debts to be paid, but for my heart debt to be paid. He does that through Jesus. And he did that on the cross. He paid, Jesus became our debt. That was the whole point of that story is that there's this foreshadowing of, yes, Elisha is helping this woman to quote unquote pay her debt. But Elisha was just a physical figure of what was to come because Jesus is our greater Elisha and he's already paid the debt that we can never pay. And so why wouldn't we want to, like this woman, go ask everyone, you know, borrow all these jars so that we can show them like, hey, Jesus is the one that's going to do these things. And that's where this hope and that's where this love and joy and all the things, this peace, especially, you know, where we are now and with the pandemic, that's where all of that's coming from. And you don't have to fear and you don't have to be anxious and you don't have to be afraid because God's already done it. He's already paid and put in full what you need, everything in Jesus. Amen to all of that. And I'm just thinking of the person who maybe it's been a while since they've read this scripture or even someone who's never read this. I am going to read these seven verses. And then Sharita, I'd love for you just to share what you've drawn out, the practical applications and what this can mean in each of our lives. And so this is Second Kings 4 in the NIV. 
The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, and sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So, Sharita, when we hear those words, what are some practical applications that you draw out of that text? I think, and I can only speak for myself, you know, I can't speak for anyone else, but I think when I read it, the thing that was the most just stood out to me was that she had to recognize that she had something in her house, right? Like she had to recognize that she had something to offer. And I think so many times because the way our culture is set up, you know, this this celebrity culture where it's like, oh, well, I can't do that because I don't have this degree or I can't do that because I don't have X, Y, and Z. Or I don't, I'm not connected in this way. Recognizing that there's so much that we have, especially in America, like even the poorest person in America has more than the the poorest person overseas. And sometimes even more than one of the richest people overseas, because it's just where we are and, and the value of the things that we have. And recognizing if you have a home, you have oil, you have a room that's empty, you have oil, you have a car that you could carry someone, you have oil, you have food, you you, can, you love cooking, and you have the ability to cook food and meals and take it to you know someone who may be in need. And that doesn't have to be like, we think homeless all the time, which yes, that is such a big factor. But there are people who would never tell you that they don't have enough money and they have a home and they don't have food in their house, you know? And sometimes- in my case, it's just a matter of like asking, you know, okay, Holy Spirit, like, who do you want me to like give to today? And that giving isn't always financial. Like literally last night, I called to get my U-Haul pods uh, delivered for today. And I'm trying to get everything worked out. The lady was on the phone. And I just felt like I was like, ask her, how can you pray for her? That's very awkward for some people. <laughs> Especially when if you don't know they're Christian or not, but I was like, whatever. Nobody, nobody knows, you know, what what people need. And so I asked her, I said, Hey, how can I pray for you? So at first she was really just vague and like, Oh, could you pray for health for my family? She's like, Oh, thanks so much. That's so sweet. And within I I said, Great, I'll pray for that. I get ready to move on to the next thing. And she says, Actually, I also would love for you to pray for my anxiety. I've had so much fear and anxiety. And God just let me talk to her truthfully and honestly about what I had been through, what, I, what I've gone through from my son. I mentioned him earlier, but he died in 2018 in, in a car accident. And um, I just told her, I said, you know, I, I lost a lot of who I was because not because I didn't have hope in God, but because it's just hard when you lose your, your child. And 
I was not expect he wasn't sick. That was just an unexpected way or uh, thing for it to happen at that time. And I really uh, went into deep depression. There were so many other things that were happening. It wasn't like he died and then, okay, I'm depressed. Like there, I had lost a friend. I watched her die at work two months later, not even a month later, I lost two students that had overdosed previous students. I, my mom had had several strokes again at that point and had lost more of her mobility and her cognitive thinking. And I didn't have a job and then I got a job and then I lost a job trying to take care of my mom. And then he died. And it just was one thing after another. And so I just told her, like, I, I almost committed suicide the year before. There there were so many different things and, and darkness is very real. And in that moment, my oil was my experience, right? And the the fact, the testimony that I actually came out of that and it didn't happen, you know, on my own. It was because of people around me pouring into me as an empty vessel that I'm able to be here today. And little things, checking on me, calling me, messaging me, taking me to lunch, um, bringing me dinner, praying with me, you know, just very going to my therapist, like very practical things. So it's first recognizing, I think, that you have oil and that you're able to take that. God can take that and he can multiply it Um, and not downplaying what you have because it's different for everybody. I think the next thing is just also thinking, just remembering not to isolate not to say like, okay, well, I got to do this myself. We are, especially in church world. So like, you know, put your foot down. You got to figure it out. I got mine. You got to get yours. And it's like, no, that is not the church of God. Paul in every letter he writes, he's constantly writing to the church, this group of people who lived in smaller places. They did not have a building. They did not have a synagogue. They were followers of Christ. They would have had no church. And they're meeting in these small caves and caverns and rooms and places and homes. And these are people just pulling their resources together to say, we want everybody to experience this Jesus. Like, they did not isolate themselves. And when someone was isolated, like Paul in prison in Philippians, they went and saw him. They went after him. And so, you know, I think it's it's definitely something that as a community, we have to ensure that we don't allow other people to isolate, that we don't get so caught up in our, you know, we have this practice and we got to go here and we got to do this and we got, that you forget that people are around you and and need to hear from you. And that sometimes it's hard. People kept asking me when I was going through the dark phase of my life, the last year and a half, why didn't you reach out to me? You know, why didn't you call me? And almost upset that I didn't say something to them. And I'm like, I need you to understand this. Darkness is real. We sing this song, you know, the song, uh, Tremble. And and the words that say, you know, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. That that is some awesome power because darkness is almost in the way that I have experienced it is so encompassing. It will take you out and you have no voice and you feel alone. So therefore you you don't reach out because you're trying just to fight to just be present in the moment to just be awake and alive and get through your day to have to add to that thinking through calling someone. It's the church's responsibility. We, each other as the church, not the building, which we've clearly seen in 2020, that is responsible for reaching out to others and saying, hey, what do you need today? How are you doing? Are you okay? I know that this happened last week. I saw that you posted this on Instagram because my 
life, people's lives are not a post. They don't stop the minute I post something. It continues, right? So it's up to us to be the circle and not just be isolated on this row. And then the other thing I'd say is you have to keep people out. If you look at any time Jesus did any miracle with, you know, healing people that from the dead and whatnot, even Elijah and Elisha, they both, all of them, they, whenever they, they healed the little boy, if you go further chapters, further up in second Kings and, and further like go back in first Kings, you'll see where these women had come and asked them, Hey, can you, you heal my son? Or can you bring him back to life? Cause he died. This one lady with Elijah and Jesus says the same thing. When Jairus brings his daughter, she's dead. God, Jesus says she's just sleeping. And when he gets there, everybody's crying. And he's like, get these people out of here <laughs> because I cannot do any miracles with people in this room. And this energy is all just like, oh, woe is me. And because they don't believe that Jesus can do what he needs to do. You have to have room for the Holy Spirit to move. If you don't believe he exists, then how is he going to do anything? That's like me sitting in your room saying, I want to give you a drink of water and I'm sitting here and I got the water in the refrigerator, but somebody's standing in front of it telling me there's no water in there. And I'm telling you, I put the water in the refrigerator. Get out the way. That's Jesus and Elisha in this moment. So he's telling her, hey, keep these people out. Don't let anybody see what you're doing because you don't need any distraction. It's already hard enough to believe that God can do this. It seems impossible, but we are promised that there's nothing impossible with God. So she closes the door and then that allows her to have the ability to plant her faith in truth, even if it's just a little bit of faith. I, I told the lady last night, you don't need more faith. <laughs> there's no such thing as I need more faith. No, you're not going to dig it up. The, the Bible says to every man is given the measure of faith. The same faith I have is the same faith you have. It's just who decides to use it and how long I'm going to use it. So either I'm going to tap into it or I'm not. And then I guess the last thing that is more practical would be just like, are you willing not only to trust God to be what you need in, in times of not enough? Because that's his heart is to give us more than what we need when we don't have enough. But also, are you willing to ask God to give you the courage to just say, okay, I'm ready. I'm here. Use what I have. Because that's scary. It's scary to think that you don't have enough. It's scary to think that you don't have something to offer. And, and I think it's almost built inside of our DNA without even realizing it because we all are always looking for a hero. That's why we love like Avengers movies and, you know, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, all these things, you know, all these movies that people fall all over and, and go to Disney World for. People pay thousands of dollars to go to Disney World and just experience something different. And I'm like, the magic you're looking for is in Jesus. <laughs> it's not magic. It's actually what I mentioned before, which is just saying, okay, it's my obedience and it's partnered with my surrender. That's the magic is getting to see God work in me, through me with a little bit. That's the quote unquote pixie dust. So I think just asking for the courage to open our hands and say, hey, God, I want to be available to you to do whatever you want to do through me. I don't even see what I have in my house, but I know that in your word, you say that you'll open my eyes to see. So I'm going to ask you, give me the eyes to see what I have. Give me the heart to then also give it away and recognize that it's all borrowed, like everything. And when I finished with that lady last night, <laughs> you know, she, she was, she was so grateful and it was so sweet and almost didn't want to get off the phone. We both were like, okay, bye. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. I'm like, this is a U-Haul. They got all this on record, right? They recorded this call. 
but my Xfinity, your, your Wi-Fi, you can give it a name. And so I had named it and it came up, it popped up right when I got off the phone with her to get on. It's all borrowed. Like literally that's what I named it because I want to be constantly reminded everything I have, my family, my friends, my body, my house, my home, like everything is all borrowed. And if I live that way, then I don't have any problem giving it away to anybody. I don't have any problem with someone asking me to do anything or to serve or any of that because I recognize God gave it to me to do that in the first place. So that's probably, if I look at anything practical, that, that's that's everything that I took away from it. Wow. That message of stewardship is so powerful. And I'm so sorry about the experiences and the loss of your son and all the struggles in that time of darkness. Yeah. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing because you're not approaching this from, I guess, the pie in the sky. Everything's always great, but you've walked through a lot of difficulties too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is not from a theological preference of things like this. That's my life. But that's what the world wants, needs to see is how, how we live. They need to see like, oh, you, you still are here and these things happen. Like, how did that happen? Well, it's Jesus. <laughs> how, how could you not be empty? It's Jesus. And it's not in some weird, crazy way that the world paints, you know, Christians. And it's not from some horrible church experience. Like, and I've had those too, you know, but like, it really is out of, no, I just recognize that everything I have is because of God. And I don't need anything from anybody else. If you don't want to give it to me, guess what? God will give it to me. It's out of just total understanding and recognition of the legacy of his faithfulness in my life. Even when I can't see it, even when I don't know how, just saying, okay, well, God, you did it before. So <laughs> I guess you'll, you'll show up and you'll do it again. And he does every, every single time. If this is your first time with us, I want to say welcome. We are so honored to have you join us, and we would love to hear how you first heard about the Savvy Sauce. And if you've been here for a while, would you consider becoming a patron? By joining our group of patrons, you gain exclusive access to many bonus episodes, and the new episodes and downloadable scripture cards just keep coming with your monthly patronage. You can join today by visiting thesavvysauce.com and clicking on our Patreon tab. Then click Join Patreon here. We're able to keep producing content due to the generosity of our patrons, so we want to sincerely say thank you. I think that you sharing these things so openly can help us start to think of stewardship in our own lives. And so just asking, what oil do we have in our house? Is that a talent or resource or relationship that we have, any specific skills. And it makes me think back on the Savvy Sauce. On January 4th, we launched an episode with Gabe and Rebecca Lyons, and they talk about the rhythms of renewal, but the first step is to take inventory. And I think that's a great follow-up practical application from this chat is to pause and take inventory what oil is in our house, because when we give it to the Lord, we see what he does. And like you've said this whole time, that that could be used to become someone else's miracle. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
So goodness, Sharita, your teaching is just inspired by the Holy Spirit. So is there a place where we could find more of your teaching online or someday in person? So this might sound really crazy, but I just told the Holy Spirit he's my booking agent because I never just thought I was going to be a speaker of sorts. So I do have Instagram and I have a really great team that's been helping me to just kind of do different things and continue to have make space to be able to speak when God kind of gives me things. I know that in April this year, supposed to be at a, a women's retreat in Virginia through a North Point partnership there. Um, but right now, mostly the things that if, if anybody's like, oh, where is that at? They could see this message that we've, we've kind of been rallying around on North Point Ministries at North Point Community Church. And they could watch well, what's in your house, I think. And then um, there's one one other one. I've also done some messages for Decatur City Church. That church is amazing and just grateful to have been able to work with them. And then I don't think the Grove, which is a woman's, kind of like a woman's conference, but on steroids <laughs> at, at Passion City Church. I spoke there last Christmas, but I'm not sure if that's available online to listen to. And then there's one other that I recently had a chance to speak with a organization called Cultivate. They are based on, out of Atlanta, and they're really for a, a group of mental health experts that are Christian and Christ followers. And I did a talk with them, and that was a really great time. So that's there. And I think all of those things are available to be seen on uh, my Instagram account, which is just SJ Harkness, the number one. So yeah, that's, that's it for now. As far as the future, I don't know. I really just said, Hey God, you know, wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. Um, so if someone wants to invite me and it, and it aligns with time wise and just what the Holy Spirit has spoken in my heart, then that's kind of where I, how I've been going with things. I have, I don't have a schedule. I don't have like a plan because it's just really, God's just shown up and said, I want you to go here, or I want you to speak here. And so I've just done what he's asked. The next several months, I just, like I said, moved to Chicago. I moved here to be the creative arts and worship pastor at uh, Willow Creek Community Church. And so I'll just kind of be digging in this next month or so. And we have spoken. They asked me if I'd be willing to speak at Willow once I kind of get my feet you know, planted. And I said, sure. So hopefully at some point I'll be able to speak there and people can tune in. But for right now, it's just kind of wherever the Holy Spirit says comes next and whatever's already online at North Point or Decatur City Church. That's perfect. We will make sure that we link to your Instagram page in both our show notes and our resources tab of the website. And Sharita, you may already know we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or discernment. And so as my final question for you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? So I think if I had to say my Savvy Sauce, other than clearly Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I would say is just always wanting to create experiences for people, whether that's just in conversation or in an interaction with me, that point back to God's goodness. The, everything that God created in the beginning, he always looked at it in those seven days and said, oh, that's good. And I have this thing, I don't even realize I say it sometimes, and my cousin noticed, she's like, you always say that. And I say, oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff, like for everything. <laughs> and I think 
I kind of live by that. Like, okay, I want somebody to look at anything I've done and go, oh, that's good stuff. And not because I've done it, but because God's in it. And so, yeah, I just try to live in a, in a space or from a space where I'm always trying to create an experience to the best that I can. Some days are harder than others. Other days, most days, I'm just like, okay, God, it's me and you. Let's go after this and just create good stuff because God's in it. Not to be cliche, but that is, that's good stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Sharita, thank you just for being a godly woman. Your good works overflow from your genuine faith and your voice is such an important one for us all to hear. So I pray that God blesses you with many more opportunities to share this gift he's given you. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, no, thank you for having me. I'm just, I'm really honored and very grateful and just heart so full to have had time in that and that it ministered to you that what you heard the one time you heard me speak actually, you know, encouraged you and touched you because that was my prayer. Like, God, if I do this, if I have to go speak in front of people, like I want it to be what you want to say and I want it to be life-changing for someone that they hear you, that they see you in their life. So this was just a confirmation for me that I'm following Jesus where he's asking me to go and that he's working. So thank you for the invite to come and and, and chat with you on Savvy Sauce. Oh, it was truly my pleasure. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news. And I want to share the best news with you but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. 
get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.